1979, the first issue of Fangoria was released into the world. It's been over 40 years, and they are better than ever, each issue bringing you 100 pages of exclusive, carefully curated content honoring horror's past, present, and future. These articles and interviews will never be published online, so the only way to read them is by getting your hands on a physical, collectible copy of your own. We can't give anything away because we want the experience to be a surprise, but we can safely say that you do not want to miss a single page. Head over to Fangoria.com to learn more and to, you know, subscribe. And while you're there, make sure to enter the promo code KINGCAST to save 25% off your yearly subscription. With all that said, on with the show. My name is Stephen King. The ice is gonna break! Well, sometimes that is better. Hello and welcome back to the Kingcast on the Fangoria Podcast Network. My name's Scott Wampler. And I'm Eric Vespi. And we are your hosts. We have a very special episode this week, folks, and not just for y'all. This is a conversation we've been dying to have here for a while now at uh, uh, KingCast headquarters, so it's really quite the treat for us as well. Today, we are joined by the creators of Showtime's Yellow Jackets, one of the most profoundly entertaining and compulsively watchable TV series we've had the pleasure of discovering over the past, uh, shit, I don't know, several years. It's been a while. It's a great show. Uh, Grizzly, hilarious, and jam-packed with mysteries you cannot wait to see solved. This show is on its way to what promises to be an ass-kicking second season. And we are thrilled this dynamic duo took time out of their busy schedules to chat with us about another story wherein something sinister goes down in the woods, which is, of course, 1987's The Tommyknockers and its unfortunate 1993 TV miniseries adaptation. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the KingCast stage, Ashley Lyle and Bart Nickerson. How are y'all doing today? Hey, guys. Um, hey, how's it going? Uh, uh, thanks so much for having us. Yeah. Oh, we're we're so excited. I think I reached out to Ashley back right around the time that <laughs> Yellow Jackets' first season was uh, coming in for a landing. And uh, we were on board with doing an episode then, but then it, it took us a while till, we, till both of our schedules aligned. And... Um, Boy, did I have a lot more Yellow Jackets questions for you at that time, because <laughs> it was fresh on my mind. At this point, I've probably forgotten most of the nerdy things I wanted to ask you, but let's start here. From the outside looking in, it felt like this show started, and then it was like a word of mouth thing, specifically, that that spread it around, and then it just exploded like halfway through the season. That's That's what it was from my perspective, and... It turned into a monster hit. What was the experience of this like for y'all? It was really surreal, actually. And and it sort of it ties in very nicely with the Stephen King theme of this because um, you know, we we started airing and and you know, some people were watching, but it wasn't you know, it it didn't feel like it was breaking through exactly you know some people early on got got pretty into it and then you know we we finished the season in terms of what we had to do you know doing uh finishing up post on it and we went on a little vacation because it was an incredibly (laughs) challenging year making a season of television yeah so you know the first few days we were on this vacation i was just sitting by the pool on my fucking phone 
looking at Twitter the entire time. <laughs> like, just <laughs> Twitter. Like, I will totally admit, I was like searching for our own hashtag, just like, are people talking about it? What are they saying? And then, like, slowly, it, it, it made its way into my feed without having to search for it. Like, people hmm. were just talking about it. And so, you know, Bart would be like, get off your phone. Like, we're supposed to be on vacation. Stop. Yeah. It. yeah. it is not healthy for you. And I remember at one point I just turned to him and I was like, something's different. Like, something, something is changing. And then, you know, he did successfully convince me to put my phone away. So for a couple of days, I, I wasn't doing that. And then I remember one day we we went swimming and then we got back to, you know, our towels and our stuff and Bart checked his phone for some reason and he sort of gasped and said, oh my God, check your phone. And the way he said <laughs> it made it sound like something catastrophic had just happened. 9-11-2 <laughs> has happened. Yeah, I was like, oh my God, what? And uh, and he's like, no, 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 it's a good thing. And that was the day that, that Mr. King had tweeted about our show. And I fully lost my mind. Uh, he actually took a video of it, which we have now made a pact that he can only show it if I die first at my funeral. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so it was it, it was so wild that this all kind of happened while we were, you know, we weren't home. We were on this vacation and it took this weird turn and it was really, really gratifying to see. But it was so surreal. Like, it's just, you know, you're still you yeah, and life is still your life. And, and then this thing is sort of happening and it's just weird, man. Part of what's so strange, like, it's like, this might sound weird, but like, I, like, I think there was a part of my brain that like equated, like, um, like a, a success with like the, like the way that it must be for sort of like a, a kind of musicians and like a kind of actors hmm. where it's mm -hmm. like, now, like uh, something that you like uh, worked on is like a big hit. So it's like now, like you can't go to the store and you can't like uh, like and people are coming up to you like all the time. And it's like it's like just like because like that's obviously like not like the case for us. Like a few small people in kind of your life are like, whoa, this thing's like really successful. But like it feels so distant from you because it's like this thing that's like really your only contact with it is through your phone mostly. And so it's just like, like, you just like, oh, yeah, like, I guess the show's like doing really well, like, intellectually, like the difference between like 10,000 people like watching the show, and a million people uh, watching the show, it's like too much for the brain to really like parse anyway. So totally, totally. It's, so like, so like, it's super cool. Um, and like, uh, like uh, the message board stuff and like the Reddit stuff is like fun. But yeah, it's just like weird, because it's just like, oh, yeah, like this thing that feels sort of like, um, small and far away if that makes sense it was so amazing so on i can't remember if it was the flight there or the flight home but i feel like it might have been the flight home uh the girl across the aisle from us you know bart nudged me at one point she had her laptop open and she was watching episode nine of yellow jackets right. literally sitting across the aisle from us and i was like oh my god should we say something and then she <laughs> looked at her phone the entire fucking time <laughs> <laughs> that that is so so funny that reminds me it, it, you that's another thing that you share with uh, stephen king because he has a, a story that he told about seeing somebody reading carrie in the wild for the first time 
And it was almost that exact same scenario where he was on a plane and there was a lady in first class, like an older lady described reading Carrie. And he was just like, you know, Stephen King in the mid seventies. So he was multiple beers in cause he's not a good flyer. And, and uh, he, he decided to go to the bathroom and he goes to the bathroom and he's like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go up to her and be like, Hey, that's, that's my book. You know, I'll sign it for you, that kind of thing. And so he, 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 he goes to the bathroom, washes up and then he comes out and he goes, Hey, so, uh, so how's that book? You know? And she goes, Oh, it's got, it's awful. Oh, and he God. goes very well. And he goes and sits back down. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. I just, it was like all I could do to not reach over and slap that phone out of her hand. <laughs> this is a good episode. Though. Like, this You is need to pay bad. attention. Yeah. <laughs> so do you, do you all have everything figured out? Everything about life, about the show, <laughs> it's all, we've, we've got it all. Here's what, well, here's what I'm, I'm thinking of is Lost, a show which famously claimed to know exactly what it was doing for a very long time. And then toward the end entered some territory where it became debatable that anyone really knew that, that there was a firm hand guiding the ship. Let's right. let's put it that way. Right, right. Um, yeah, I mean, we do have a, a kind of an exit strategy. Like we know, um, sort of like you know, like a lot of the, not a lot of, but like we do have a plan. Um, but like you know, we are also sort of big fans of a uh, television. Um, is not a novel. Like you start to send chapters out before the the thing is finished, and like that can be very uh, kind of exciting. Um, it is like, you know, a collaborative um, a medium, things change and shift. Um, mm-hmm. We are not, you know, like, uh, like it's not like, oh, uh, we have no idea. Like we have a uh, kind of an exit strategy would be a way right. to it. Also, but you've got the wiggle room to adapt on the fly. Correct. Because, you know, and like, like we are huge uh, uh, Lost fans. You know, mm-hmm. I also think that, uh, something that we would try to avoid that like it seems like a-, a lost did at times was like you know the entire thing felt like it was about a- at some point what was happening um mm-hmm. and like we hope and again there could be people in kind of the audience uh, uh that are like shut up we just care about the secrets but like we you know really want like uh the interpersonal sort of like journey to be as important as like totally you know right. the full plan like and so again as a huge fan of lost when people are like uh, like like don't do what happened in lost one where it's like well you know it was a great ride that lost gave us like <laughs> sure i mean yeah. I, I think what we're trying to avoid from sort of like the lost precedent is to it, it felt like, you know, and I, I don't know the intricacies of what that room was like, but it did sometimes feel like they were doing something that was just cool. And then they would figure out what it meant later. Mm, and yes. That's something that we're trying to avoid, you know, like just having a moment that feels really cool and then reverse engineering how it can fit into the plot. Um, so, yeah, as Bart said, you know, we we have a, a skeleton. We know, you know, the the big tentpole moments that we want to hit and we have an exit strategy and then you know it it does feel like you have to have the flexibility along the way because we have a writer's room full of really really smart people and sometimes things you know sometimes you come up with a better idea so we try to we try to stay open to that right well and i mean to to that point like I think that what a lot of people when they speak about loss that they maybe focus on the church, you know, 
resolution thing, which I don't have a problem with. I think that's that's all fine and, and good. And, you know, I actually kind of like the idea that there's this thing that that uh, united this group of people that drew them together, even in an afterlife kind of situation. I think what people really do, uh, maybe they don't articulate it well um, or they don't realize it, is that I think the re- a lot of the reason why people turn on that final season is because the characters do things that felt out of character. And uh, Saeed is a perfect example where like he is this very strong, very smart person who becomes essentially a henchman for the final season. You know, it's like, I, I think that's where most people feel betrayed. And that goes back to what you guys were talking about in that, you know, as long as you are stay true to the, the relationships and the in, interpersonal drama mm-hmm. that's going on, then it almost doesn't matter, you know, what the resolution is, as long as it feels true to the characters, you know? Yeah. yeah. And like, I think there was like another, I mean, like there are like a lot of challenges they had, but like, you know, like kind of correct me if I'm wrong, but like, I can't think of another, show where the audience was like so aware of the creative as like a force and so this idea that like they said they had a plan and like like it was clear they didn't like uh, that's just not a kind of an axis that i think that like television shows before that had to kind of contend with that's like oh like Mm -hmm. we have to have a sort of like pr kind of aspect like in that we're sort of like managing the framing of the narrative, right. like a uh, uh, kind of also, and um, yeah, like this is like that, a that really was, strange thing, yeah. And that was kind of like the start of all that because that's the the norm in the culture now, right? So 100%. that's yeah, yeah. You listen, like you people giving credit to Kevin Feige for everything that that is done well in Marvel, or pissing right. on on Kathy Kennedy because you know they didn't have a plan for the new Star Wars or whatever. Right. Like they p- fandoms tend to care about that. I mean, look at the the Snyder Bros. You know, it's like they're yeah, how yeah. much they they harass all the execs at Warner Brothers whose fault it, you know, it is. It couldn't possibly, you know, have anything to do with, uh, uh, you know, who whoever they've deemed as is the important, you know, voice in that show or whatever in those movies. But, uh, but yeah, no, that's just the way things are now. But you're right. I can't. I'm trying to think of if there was, if there was a, a precedent before Lost, you know, before the J.J. Abramsing, which is funny in and of itself because J.J. Abrams. Well, did they have the same? Well, I guess because because Lynch got fired, you know, in the middle. Well, of that, right? yeah, or that left. whole the second right. season, like there's that whole stretch where right. it really felt like maybe it was spinning its wheels a little bit and going. You know, that's where a lot of people tapped out of it was maybe not quite halfway into the second season, right? Where it became then, more soap opera. Yeah. yeah. And so that's why now you can find like memes and shit. Like there's famously a, a, a chart that I've, I've seen uh, uh, that has, it's a list of all the twin peaks episodes. And then it rates them by like a color scale on how, how badly you need to see them. It's like <laughs> red, yellow, and green, you know? So it's like the whole first season is green. And then the second season is like, two greens up top, three greens at the end, and then either yellow or red the rest of the time. <laughs> right. You know, I, and I, so I understand like that. Sure. That feeling. But, but, I, one, but like the, the, and having a plan for a thing doesn't necessarily mean that it's great. Right. I mean, because you look true, at very it, what, true. in the, with the Star Wars example, you know, they people have given the new films shit for not being meticulously planned out from, uh, you know, uh, the episode seven on. And uh-huh. while they kind of have a point, 
I also go, George Lucas didn't either. You know, he had Luke making out with his sister before he decided she was his sister. You know, they had Obi-Wan saying that Anakin killed Vader, not because he was playing some 3D chess. It was because at that point, Darth Vader in his mind wasn't Luke Skywalker's father. You know, it's just like shit changes, you know, and, and, and uh, you know, but, but people don't really hold Lucas to account for that. So why is it a big deal now? You know, I just, mm-hmm. it really is in the execution, I think. I think it's yeah. just... You know, that's the important thing, but people, you know, are more uh, apt, especially fans are more apt to want to have some sort of definitive answer and and feel authority over over what they're they're watching, which, you know, kind of goes back to Ashley and Bart now and being in a envious and non envious position of, of <laughs> they now have a show that that is uh, was kind of an under the radar show at the beginning and now has a whole lot of focus on it. And, uh, uh, you know, it must be really exciting you know, that, that, you know, you have an audience now, but also kind of intimidating that, that, uh, you know, they're getting, they're sitting there waiting to pick apart what you're, what you're putting out. Oh yeah. See that I want to, I, I just want to ask my final question here about, about <laughs> yellow jackets. The finale really stuck the landing, you know, for me as a viewer. And it seemed to be that way for everyone. What I didn't see any of was, well, this was my theory and it didn't come true. So now I'm upset about it. You know, there wasn't a lot of, there wasn't a lot of that going on. You know, people were like, Oh shit. When they got to the ending. (laughs) And so I'm wondering, like, sometimes we record episodes of the show that are, we know are, uh, more entertaining than others. I'll say, or like really exciting. And those are like, I fucking climb the walls when that happens, when we have something banked that we can't air yet. Yeah. You know, to get it out there and get it in front of the audience. Did you did you feel that way about the finale or and did you feel that way about certain episodes? And if so, which ones were they that you were really excited for people to see? I would say that the the one and and to be clear, it's you know, production is such a strange beast and it's absolute chaos. You know, there's mm-hmm. a certain point um, we call it the the triumvirate of pain because you're you're, <laughs> you're still writing and breaking episodes. You're also producing, so you're in prep and you're shooting, you know, several episodes at a time, and you're in post. So you've got a thousand plates spinning. And you know, if you ask any any showrunner, you know, the first cut you see of any episode will make you want to die. Like there's just something about it <laughs> where it's like always a mess at first. And, you know, you're like, oh, my God, what what have we done? So, you know, for a large part of production, you know, we, we just weren't sure. You know, you think you think you're making something that feels kind of special when you, when you're breaking the story, especially in the writer's room. You're like this. We think this is cool. We think this is going to really work. And then there's just a large chunk of time where you're like, oh, God, I just hope this doesn't ruin my career. Like, that's all you can do. <laughs> And, and then slowly it'll start to come together and you're like, okay, I, I think we'll be okay. Like, I just, I don't think this is going to embarrass us, but like, mm. I'm also an extremely anxious person with like a fair amount of neuroses. So like, I, I don't know that I ever got too far beyond. I just don't think we're going to be embarrassed for a while, but um, I did. <laughs> I I loved. You don't have to be ashamed of this one yes, this week. Exactly. No, I, I'm not. I'm not exaggerating. That was mostly my mentality, and um, and that's that's not to shit on any of our amazing collaborators. It's just this underlying fear that that I think it's sure to shake. One thing that can be like a little like 
like, I guess like weird or challenging is, you know, because like, I think because there's so many stages of like a given uh, kind of episode, you know, like going all the way back to just like, what if they have a seance? And so like from the start, you know, you have this like vague idea or um, intuition about like what that will like look and feel like, you know, and then through each stage of like the outline, the script, uh, you know, uh, the rough cut of it to the final cut, it like, you know, it morphs and becomes something different, but there's always this period of like the like a uh, death of like the previous version of it that lived vaguely in your head. So there is this really sort of like a sinusoidal like wave ride of like, oh my God, like, yeah, like uh, this uh, seance is going to be great. But then it's like shifting um, into something else. And you're just like, well, like, is this one going to be good? Oh, like this new version is going to be great. And then you see the cut and you're like, wait, it's a uh, different again still. And it's like, you sort of have to like recalibrate and then uh, realize that like, oh, this is what it was supposed to be the whole time. So like, it can be hard to get too excited because yeah, like at first it feels like you're defending something and it's just like pieces of it are getting like picked away. But then uh, hmm. you realize that that's actually like the process and what is being left or revealed is actually the point of the whole thing anyway. And so then uh, by the time you realize that you were supposed to be in love with that, it's like, like it's over and <laughs> like it's airing. That sounds like, very nerve wracking. Oh. <laughs> I would call it shattering. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, you guys killed it though. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean good Lord. I, I was really excited for people to see episode nine. Yes. We, we kind of always from that, that's the episode that m most from, you know, kind of genesis of idea to finished product, we had a lot of confidence in. And then Daisy Mayer, who directed it, just directed the ever-loving shit out of it. And all of our actors, you know, I we could not have asked for more in terms of their commitment <laughs> to that episode. They went hard. Like, they came to play. And, yeah. and we were really excited about that one and for people to see it. Well, we're beyond hyped for whatever y'all come up with for, for season two. And uh, even I if you put my... in a piss cave in there, we'll be, we'll be totally fine. <laughs> I think, I think, um, I think it's the most, my most anticipated TV show thing oh, right pleasure. now. That's great to hear. <laughs> it's fine. I'm just a, I'm just a guy. No, you know. I think, you know, we're, we've been, you know, we're in the writer's room for season two and um, you know, we, a little while ago, um, had to do our pitch out. So the way it works is, and you guys probably know this, but um, I don't know if your entire audience does, you know, when, when you start a new season, you work in the room, you do what we call blue skying the season. And so you, you come up, you know, you, you have your pitch for the entire season and things mm -hmm. can change a little bit, but um, so we, we pitched it out to the network and um, you know, we, we sort of have a reputation myself and Bart and our co-showrunner, Jonathan, we are very thorough people. <laughs> so we had, I think we pitched them for two hours straight. <laughs> they were like, okay, guys, this is, this was not fully necessary. We did not need this much information, but. Um, 45 but, minutes in, they're like, just, just make it. Yeah, it's okay. Much. They were like, no, 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 just, just go ahead. Just make this. <laughs> um, but, you know, it went over really well. And I, I think that there are going to be. A number of things and pretty early on in the second season that people find satisfying 
So that's all I'll sort of tease about that. But we're, we're feeling pretty good about where we're at. Excellent. It's very good to hear. Yeah. And maybe less pressure this time around. <laughs> Who knows? I, I wish that for you. Um, so it is a less shattering experience week week to week when it comes along. So let's, let's talk about some Stephen King shit. Um, what are your, let's, let's talk about both of y'all's, uh, Stephen King origin stories. Whoever wants to go first. I guess I can go because I, I sort of put mine out there publicly, which I still have sort of mixed feelings about, like, I feel like a complete idiot, but also because I'm not, I'm not a big social media person, but when, uh, when Mr. King tweeted about our show, I, I felt like it needed some sort of response. And I, I was very paralyzed for a couple of days. I just didn't, didn't know what to do with myself. And then, you know, I wrote what was, you know, very personal, thing mm-hmm. that wasn't you know particularly groundbreaking but I definitely like I, I did not sleep well that night it, it felt so weird to put something that felt very kind of personal and intimate out there into the Twitter sphere but yeah I mean I I started reading I think you know it's a very common story to read Stephen King much too young <laughs> yes, any of as we have friends. discovered and uh yeah you know my my mom actually texted me after I, I put that out there and she said, Oh, I, I remember that. And I just, I wondered if it was appropriate, but I didn't want to stop you. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm like, mom, it was deeply inappropriate and I'm so glad you didn't stop me. But um, yeah, you know, you I writing the thread was inappropriate. No, 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 no. Reading, reading pet cemetery. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was, I was like, what? Okay. Okay. <laughs> Um, and so, yeah, you know, my mom used to take us to the public library. I grew up on the Jersey Shore. And so in the summer, our two activities were going to the beach and going to the library. Like that was pretty much it. And I was a really big reader, uh, more than a little nerdy. And uh, yeah, I just started to get a little bored with like all the Newbery Award winners in the children's section. And there was this little back staircase. It was like a fire exit from um, from the upstairs, which was where the the kids' library was, down into the main like real adult section, which I found like very appealing, and I I still don't know how I had kind of gotten wind of Stephen King, but I I would sneak down there and I would sit on the floor and just read Pet Cemetery for as long as I thought I could get away with before someone would realize I wasn't upstairs. And then I would sneak back up. I think my mom definitely knew what I was doing the whole time. But yeah, I read Pet Cemetery first and it scared the hell out of me. And I was absolutely hooked. And then I just, you know, it was off to the races. I remember reading it and just being like, if my parents knew what I was reading, I would be in so much trouble. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you get were they to- were they religious or they were just very No, I mean you they know, were not- protective of your not intake. Even, I mean my my dad very much like did not understand what was appropriate and had me watching Die Hard when I was like 6 years old. It was more I think I think when I got to the, you know, the preteen gangbang and it was when I was like I don't think I'm supposed to be reading this. Like, I- <laughs> but you couldn't stop, could you? Could, oh, there, definitely couldn't stop. There's an <laughs> argument to be made that no one needs to read about a, a, a tween gangbang. But, uh, um, yeah, probably. Yes. Can you imagine if that came out today? Yeah, I imagine that there would be some hoopla about yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, it's still it's still the sort of thing where, like, 
if you tweet about something like it related, I've seen people pop up and they're like, oh, so I guess you're a big fan of fucking, you know, kids having sex in a sewer. And it's like, oh, Jesus, like like some people have taken up that cause, but <laughs> they seem to be very few and far between. So yeah. we just just mute and move along. Yeah. What can you do? What can you do? What about what about you, Bart? What's your uh, level of king? Yeah. Well, my like my first awareness of um because like I mean like like I guess maybe just to like um contextualize this, I was a very afraid kid. Like I <laughs> sort of like like I feel like it probably wasn't until I was like thirteen or fourteen that like I like didn't spend some amount of time during the day like dreading the night. Like just like <laughs> like like I was just always like very afraid of like ghosts and aliens and like all of those things. So like the idea of like reading Stephen King when I was young just would not have really been a possibility. Like I like I couldn't watch horror movies. Like I used to get my friends to like uh, basically pitch out horror movies because I couldn't stand to watch them, but was like so sort of like curious about like the stories of them. And so my first awareness of Stephen King is actually like. Uh, a mildly like emotionally traumatic was um, at some point, I think there was like a, a, a reissue of the stand um, and there were t- a, a, a television commercials for it. And like that commercial, if I kind of remember it, I should just uh, look it up. But like, I think it was just like in my memory, it was like a sort of like, it was what looked like a study with like, <laughs> smoke parting and there was this book and this like little sort yeah, of yeah like pianos <laughs> like almost like shining-esque like theme and like it was just like the, like the cover picture like i guess like these two like people like and i just remember being like that looks like the scariest thing imaginable <laughs> and like, it would just run a chill <laughs> i mean uh, um it's only like like a With little guy short with the guys like sword fighting in pajamas on the yeah. front. Yeah. And like, I think like, does one of them have like a pickaxe or something or like, it's like well, a scythe it's, or something? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, one yeah. Of, when I was a kid, I thought one of them was Luke Skywalker and the other uh-huh. one was like an evil gesture. That was like <laughs> yeah. my, before I read the book, like that was the head cannon. Yeah. I, I couldn't, I couldn't even stand to like theorize about like uh, what was happening. Like, I, I mean, one, like uh, looking back now, like how crazy is it? that there was a TV commercial for a book, uh, not only a book, but like a reissue. Uh, of right. Um, so this like, one's longer. Yeah. <laughs> this one's way longer. Yeah. yeah. I hope you like the trash man because you're going to be with him for a super long time. Um, You've already read it, but you need a new doorstop. <laughs> right. Right. But, uh, but I guess they were right. So, so that was my first like contact with King. And then um, I don't think I actually, read a Stephen King book until my like late teens. Um, I was um, at a community college and had a great uh, 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 kind of writing teacher. Um, he had like published some like a uh, uh, kind of commercial fiction. Um, and so he was like a big sort of like pop uh, uh, kind of writer. And so like just was very against a kind of pretension. Like he was just like story, 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 um, you know, and was like, you know, what makes um, a tale of two cities so great is it's got a great story. Um, and he was, uh, he taught this class that I took in horror. And uh, one of the books that we read in that was uh, we read like a couple of King things. 
uh, a Salem's Lot and Firestarter. I was sort of um, immediately taken with, there is just such a specific brain state, it seems to be, of reading Stephen King. Like it is this thing that's so just like suddenly surrounds you and you are just so like lost and like deep um, into this like world um, yeah. that it, you know, is just a really like incredibly a kind of specific experience that I've come to love. After that, I think I read a bunch of the Bachman books and I think there's like a picture on the back of one of the issues of the Bachman books that is um, like a young Stephen King, uh, um, like a typewriter and some sort of like a frame, a, a kind of attic. And for some reason, like, that has just been stored as the like archetype of like a uh, uh, kind of the writer for me. Like, just like, <laughs> right. yeah, the place that he sort of occupies between uh, um, intelligence and depth and just fun story that has just always been something that like I've loved and like uh, uh, kind of aspired to, I guess. Have you all kept up with, with King's work? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I feel like there might every once in a while I'll check my Kindle and like one has slipped past me, but right. I just read Joyland recently nice. and really enjoyed it because it felt felt kind of old school. Oh yeah, um, for sure. And there are a few like you know I, I time has lost all meaning, so I feel like um like I I finally went back and re- and read uh, Duma Key, which I know is not super recent at this point. It's probably 20 years old. Yeah. Um, yeah and and I, I just read Revival. Um, yes. I try to keep up as much as possible. If there's a new king, I'm going to read it for the most part. What do you think of Revival? You know, I liked it. Yeah. Yeah. I We're really I- big on that one around here. Yeah. That ending is just such a sucker punch. Yeah. <laughs> Well, the title you've come here with today is not as good as Revival. Um, I, I think we can all agree to that. Or maybe we won't. That'll be an interesting conversation either way. Could be. The title is The Tommy Knockers. And I'm, I can't even say it. But <laughs> I guess we should start with the plot. Would, would one of you like to take the honors to and, you know, uh, tell our listeners? who maybe have not read this book or seen the miniseries. What in general, what is this book about? Okay. Bart, do you do you want to go? Do you want no, me to please, please. Okay. <laughs> throwing that hot potato back and forth? Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you jump on that grenade. <laughs> <laughs> so uh the Tommy Knockers is about um it's about aliens. Um <laughs> and that is true. That is the most basic um, explanation. But it is about um, a writer named Bobby Anderson, and she is out, you know, just hiking with her dog in the woods one day. Stumbles across a little piece of metal in the ground, and thus begins an epic tale of a town being essentially taken over by what it turns out to be um, is a ancient spaceship that's been um, kind of trapped in the earth for God knows how long. Um, she begins to excavate it. And um, as she does, terrible things start happening in the town. Everyone starts a process known as the becoming, um, where they're essentially being sort of transformed into whatever beings had, had flown there on the ship. And um, it slowly becomes clear that this is a very bad thing. And uh, we have our hero i guess is the word i'll use for lack of a better one in um 
Jim Gardner, who is uh, an alcoholic poet who murdered his wife. And uh, <laughs> he ultimately... You know, the standard hero. You know, you know your standard hero. Um, and he will ultimately have to find a way to save the planet from the invasion of the Tommyknockers. Well done. Yeah. Very well done. That's really good. Yeah. And this so. book is how long? It's um I think it is twenty thousand pages long. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this uh we we we've mentioned, to... you know, that that King's not too hot on it. Like his exact words are it's an awful book. Oh, like yeah, he yeah. this Could is I like ask? the this is the tail end of of him uh yeah. You know, it, it, well, I don't know. I, I always Shooting get confused on the timeline. Is this is this where he's still coked out of his mind, or is this yes. him? He re- is still. Recovering? This is the last book he wrote while fucked up. Yeah. Okay. Oh, gotcha. It's, because, it's, well, I would say Bart's like, oh no, <laughs> it makes. But like, well, because there is like something. So, like, I mean, like, I guess again, just to give like a little bit of context, I like no one should ever take my opinion on movies, television, or books like seriously, because like I'm often reacting to like very uh, kind of specific uh, kind of circumstances. Like, like I feel like this hit me once. Like, I don't remember what I was seeing, but I was seeing a movie in like a movie theater, and I hadn't been to a theater in like a very long time. So this is like pre-COVID. And like, I'd been eating very strictly and I decided to have popcorn and like a Reese's pieces and realized that I was having like a transcendent experience in (laughs) the theater. And so it was the best movie you've ever seen. It was like the best movie I've ever, and my opinions are so based on like my uh, expectations, how good a day I'm having. And so like, I think like, uh, uh, reading a book, knowing that you're going to go onto a podcast is a great way for me to read a book because I was having a really good time <laughs> with this book. And oh, good. I, so like, I mean, because like, like obviously we all have this like a uh, uh, romance about uh, the intersection of sort of like addiction stuff and like creativity, but there is, sure. but, but there was like, like there's like a, a metaphysical like theory of mind thing in this book that like I found myself really fascinated by. And when Ashley was even doing her great uh, kind of summary of it. I was just like, wait, like, is this book like talking about God? Because it's like this like weird, like, because like the Tommy knockers, they're not even like an alien, right? Like they're more of like a force that's right. sort of like, 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 like sort of like supercharges, whatever it finds. And then like these things sort of like play out from there. Right. Because like, I think at one point there's even a question of the bodies in the ship. Sorry, like if I'm just going like way out of order here. No, if, it's, no, it's, no, no, it does, really no, it's a free for all now. And, and it's okay. also apt for this title, so you go for yeah. it. <laughs> yes, right. I am the Tommy Knockers. Uh, <laughs> we should be a boat. <laughs> but like, uh, yeah. <laughs> Excuse me for a second. Um, one point, I think guard, like it's like a throwaway line, right? But he's like, when he's inside the ship, the bodies that he finds of the quote unquote Tommy Knockers, they like uh, might have just been like another version of us like this Mm. ship or this like you know sort of like mind meme might have like landed someplace else and it's just this thing that sort of like perpetuates itself almost just like a sort of like uh, um, an energy or like a force yeah it's like a a psychic almost you know presence that these things are it's it's not an alien invasion in the uh, hg Wells sense you know these aren't right, right. a bunch of aliens you know uh, blowing up stuff this is them literally becoming us and transforming people that you love and you know are surrounded by into different beings yeah right. 
it's also an interesting example of, you know, a very specific subgenre of of King books, which is small town goes fucking berserk. <laughs> yep. And it, it in reading it again, and I hadn't read it for years and years and years, but I, I just kept thinking about Needful Things and how yeah. it almost feels like Needful Things is his do-over of Tommyknockers. Mm-hmm. Because it That's interesting. It's it's very similar in certain ways. You know, at a certain point you completely lose track of your main characters and it's really just about all the different townspeople. I feel like under the yeah. dome is another version of this. Oh, for sure. And um and there's something fascinating, but also really unpleasant about the way he really digs out that we're all capable of evil. You know, that that seems to be the main takeaway is that like you may think you're a decent person, you may think this is a quaint little town filled with just normal Americans, and actually it doesn't take much to turn everyone just fully murderous. All you got to do is give them the power to make a, a better mail sorter at the post office. Exactly. And or it a, only goes a, from there. Or a killer Coke machine. Yes. <laughs> my, my, my reaction to it is, is purely like metaphorical. I think, you know, the, mo- the book is obviously about uh, addiction and probably specifically about cocaine. Mm-hmm. You know, given it, it's this thing that gives you power that makes you feel and sometimes be like more in- intelligent than you might normally be. You know, it's um, it's so explicit to me that I can't really separate uh, the metaphor from the literal on this one. To yeah. me, that's just what the book is about. Yeah. You know, it's it, it is. Yeah, there's aliens and there's like a fucking UFO and it they're creating sorting machines and, you know, talking to portraits of Jesus or whatever the fuck. But it's. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's what this book is about. It's interesting in that way, in that it's it's King while he's still fucked up dealing with it, you know? But. Yeah, well, and, and you can see him wrestling with that image because what's happening to uh, Bobby is isn't that you know she's being taken over by this this thing yeah. that's taken over she's her body it's not, it's not yeah no it is there's still part of her in there but it's also fundamentally changing the person that uh, guard loves and knows right so i mean obviously that's yeah that that's an addiction metaphor it's like you know somebody who's gets drunk or high or whatever all the time you know you'll still have the pieces of the person that if it's your you know husband or wife or children or whatever you know and you there's a powerlessness that you know kind of comes with that of like what can i do to stop there's nothing i can do to stop this This is all you know their own uh, decision at a certain point you know and and how much that they revel in being this other newer you know, being, you know, just how much more at home they feel, you know, they, they seem to be, you know, in this new body, you know, it just happens to be in this one, you know, she's becoming this translucent alien thing, you know, jelly, <laughs> jelly being at the end, uh, you know, instead of uh, popping pills or, or getting drunk. Yeah. But also right. it's a weird mixed metaphor because Bobby is sort of the, the drug addict who fully embraces, you know, the effects of this drug, you know, being right. sort of like, Tommy Knocker, dumb. I don't know how else to put it. But then Tommy Knocker, dumb is something I've thought multiple times. Mm-hmm. But but then Guard is like a full on late stage alcoholic, yeah. and yet that so it's like you know you've got two forms of addiction, and one needs to be kind of you know conquered, and the other is 
in a weird way, the reason he's able to be the hero. It is. Yeah, that's really fucked up. It's because he's... uh, it's because of that. Well, it's because of the accident, right? He didn't get in an accident and he has like a plate in his head or something. Yeah. And that's yeah he's got that middle plate. Metal right. Plate. So it's, it's less that he's, he's a, a drunkard, but more the, the, uh, the effects of, of, uh, yeah, but uh, could, an injury. Right. You could argue though, cause his, um, Bobby's sister, Anne also has the medal from all her teeth grinding and her, her teeth. And right. And you know, her personality is such that she, you know, does not have a great, um, fate in this book. So I, I would argue that yes, the metal plate in his head is what allows him to, you know, kind of survive the effects of the ship. But I right. think it's his drinking that allows him to survive Bobby and the rest of the townspeople. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, which is, you know, I mean, like, like an important uh, a lesson, like, I think, you know, it's like, if you get out of your comfort zone on Coke, you have to even it out with drinking. Right, for sure. That's <laughs> obviously established order. Yeah, I yeah. must. <laughs> yeah, I must drink this bottle of whiskey. <laughs> it's so much better than getting high off of alien mind juice or whatever. <laughs> Well, 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 it's time for the mid-roll ad read, and I'm kicking it off this time to talk about our sponsor, Tor slash Nightfire Publications. Yes, we're talking about the book publisher, Tor. They want to tell you guys about two books from the Hugo, Nebula, and Locus award-winning author, T. Kingfisher. These two books, they are called Nettle and Bone and What Moves the Dead. Now, Kingfisher writes adventures for both children and adults, and both of these books reflect that. Nettle and Bone is on sale now. And this one's a fairy tale about a princess, a possessed chicken and a reluctant fairy godmother on a journey to save their kingdom, which we can all relate to that. I know whenever my kingdom's in trouble, the very first thing I turn to is my possessed chicken. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is every without time. question. Yeah. yeah. Goes without fairy saying. Godmother, I can kind of take her leave, but the possessed chicken coming with me everywhere I go. The other book is called what moves the dead. And it's a reimagining of the fall of the house of usher by Edgar Allan Poe. And that goes on sale this July. So as a reminder, nettle and bone on sale now and what moves the dead comes out this July. So dive into the grim and fantastical worlds of T Kingfisher right now. Very good, Eric. And while we're here, I am here to talk about our other sponsor on today's show. That would be our good friends at Athletic Greens. Yes, it's time for that ad read. We use Athletic Greens products literally every day here at KingCast HQ. I started taking Athletic Greens because, quite frankly... I needed the vitamins. Lots of people take some kind of multivitamin, but you know, it's important to choose one with high quality ingredients and that also hits your price point. And this stuff, first of all, doesn't taste like it's super healthy. In fact, it has kind of a mild tropical taste that I actually look forward to each morning. So what is it? With one delicious scoop of athletic greens, you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food, natural superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, aging, all of the things. It even supports mental clarity and alertness, which is something I definitely need while recording this show. Also, it's recommended by pro athletes, not just pudgy podcast hosts. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient 
daily nutrition, especially heading into the flu and cold season. It's cheaper than purchasing all the separate ingredients yourself and all for less than $3 a day. One scoop and a cup of water every time, boom, you are done. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com backslash kingcast. Again, that is athleticgreens.com backslash kingcast to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right, let's get back to the show, shall we? <laughs> Let me ask you guys this, uh, Ashley and Bart. Let's say y'all are out on a hike near your property. You discover the lip of a UFO poking through the dirt. Like, how are you? How are you two personally going to handle that? Are you going to tell people? Are you going to excavate it? Are you going to touch it? Are you going to be scared of it? Like, that's a great question. Yeah. Yeah. That is a really good question. I think that I, as, as a disappointed as, um, garden Bobby would be, I'm probably going to call somebody. I'm just going to be like, (laughs) you know, there's a thing. I I don't want to deal with this. (laughs) Yeah. Like, yeah. Like you guys should come check this out. Like, because I don't think I would dig it up. Well, you're not going to know it's a UFO right off the bat. If I see a piece of metal sticking out of the ground, I'm assuming there's some, uh, you know, in my backyard, I'm assuming it's like, oh, shit, that's like a pipe, you know, or that's okay, well, something purposes, electrical. For the or purposes something of, that if I touch it, I'm going to fry myself. Or For the purposes of this question, of imagine that you know just by looking at it that it's a UFO. Like, holy shit, this is a ship of some yeah, sort? Like, you know that implicitly when you're looking at it. I think mm. my first move because I'm I'm a bit of a blabbermouth. I feel like I'm going to tell everyone <laughs> I know. Like, Twitter I'm thread. Gonna, in, Instagram story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're like live streaming it, like yeah. doing a, a TikTok dance on the edge of it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I mean, if we're really trying to like uh, a war game, like a Tommy Knocker situation. Yeah, yeah. I, like, I think maybe what the real question is, is like, what do you think your kind of susceptibility is to like mm. the frequency of like the Tommy knocker thing? Because like, I think that's how it kind of worked, right? Like, like when Bobby like uh, finds it, it like, it becomes this sort of like mind worm and like, it's like calling right. to her. Oh, right? yeah. oh. And, like, and so like, I guess the question is how, how stable do you think your personality is? <laughs> and to what extent do you think that you would be susceptible to that call? And if I'm honest, my answer is I would be very susceptible to oh, that. Oh, yes. Yeah. 100%. No, no 100%. Yeah. Anybody? Yeah. No, no way. I mean, I I can get obsessed with shit video games. Like, I don't, I don't, I'm not really like a, a drinker. I'm not really a drug user. That's not my addictions, but like I can get. I can get fucking addicted to, you know, playing a fucking mobile game or an Xbox game or or addicted in driving into wormholes of of like, you know, what's this director doing and what did they do and who did they work with? And then finding four hours have gone by and I've just gone through like this whole list, you know, well, family wait, tree well, hold on. What, what was the last mobile game you got addicted to? Uh, it's still one that I, I, uh, I play. It's this, uh, it's called Marvel, Marvel puzzle quest. So it's this like bejeweled kind of, uh, uh. game where you match things, but you, uh, you play it as different Marvel characters that all have different powers. So yeah, that, that's like the that. one I've been playing for like years. And, and, uh, 
And if I don't play it every day, then like, I do feel like I'm like, Oh shit, I didn't do something today. So yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. I got nothing accomplished today. Oh, yeah. I didn't, I didn't There's something in the back Iron of my man it's faces. That, it's, <laughs> it's that same feeling you have when you go to the grocery store and you, without a list and you know, you're forgetting something, but you don't know what it is. And then you get home and you go, fuck, it was the mustard. I needed mustard, you know, or mm. whatever. Yeah. Uh, it's that, it's that same kind of nagging feeling. It's like, Oh shit, I didn't do something today. Did I? And uh, that's playing, playing the uh, MPQ. I've got one. Oh, this is so embarrassing. I've got one called Royal match. That, mm. What does it do? I mean, it's just a dumb matching game and then right. you build your little castle. And uh, wait, what are you matching? You're just, it, so it's like in that sort of bejeweled thing, you know, you've got, right. you've got a, I don't know, man. This is not conversation. <laughs> no, it's funny. That's why I'm. It's why I'm. It's why I'm asking because everyone has the mobile game that they play, and they're all embarrassing. Oh, I remember yeah, when we were working on um, Narcos. One of our coworkers, I will not out exactly who, but was obsessed with this game called Boom Beach, and. <laughs> It was just like, oh my god! I think I've spent thousands of dollars on Boom. Oh Jesus! Yeah, I'm not. What that happens that on part. Boom Beach? What is that? I don't know. We did not get into I it. I'm gonna look it up. Like, Hold on. Yeah, like I think it was some sort of like uh, um invasion game where it's like I think you're like uh like a general or something like taking a beach is what I thought he said. Mm-hmm. But he or, was so like simultaneous. Oh, there's a Boom Beach too. Oh. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay, I'm looking at this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so. <laughs> oh, it's very loud. <laughs> I'm going to get it to turn off. How do I make it stop? Okay, no more boobies. Well, that's, how, that's how they get you. You spend thousands of dollars to make it turn <clears throat> off on your phone. Yeah, I'm still playing Angry Birds 2. Mm. And I, I got like 400 levels into it and was like... <sighs> Am I not getting close to the end of this fucking thing? It became a ritual for me during quarantine. I would check in with Angry Birds 2 every right. day and I would like play the little slot machine game and then I would check my mail and then I would, you know, like do the little chores and get my little free things yep. and sometimes play, but sometimes not. But uh, I wanted to know if the game was going to ever fucking end, you know? So I looked it up. There's 4,000 levels on that game. I was like, who yeah. on earth? Is playing 4,000 levels of Angry Birds 2, but uh, apparently uh, quite a few people because there's still not an Angry Birds 3. Also, I love the idea that you would just check in and do housekeeping without actually playing. Oh, totally. Absolutely. Because you get free items. That's how you that's how you build up your bank of like like bombs and, you know, specialty items and what have you. Actually, I'm playing smart over here. (laughs) You know, I'm using my time wisely. Okay, even if I'm not in the mood for the classic Angry Birds experience, um, definitely got to pop in there and do your chores for the day. Yeah, Yeah. it's ridiculous. And yet I'll let. uh, Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say, and yet I'll let like uh, a bunch of dishes in the sink, quote unquote, soak for like five days. (laughs) But uh, but I'll I'll make sure I get my my new Marvel covers to upgrade my characters. I got very into. Um, have you guys ever played Stardew Valley? Uh, no. I avoided that. I've one, seen but, it, but uh, it's, yeah, yes. it's literally just chores. The entire yes. game is doing chores, and Bart would come in and and watch me. You know, I'm I'm picking all my my vegetables and I'm doing all my things and I'm aging my cheese. And he was just like, "What is this game?" Is <laughs> I'm, I'm aging my cheese. 
this this is what we have gotten to in (laughs) in games and it's like in my own life i haven't like opened the mail in three weeks and yet (laughs) (laughs) ash like didn't you have to like get up um in the middle of the night to do something with turnips Oh no, that was um, that was that's Animal Crossing. I, I was part of that. Crazy. That, well, every that was like a, a pandemic coping mechanism. It really was. Was right. was that that was like the perfect pandemic time? Everybody's locked yeah. in their houses, and then everybody. The only way you could be social was to jump on your Nintendo Switch. Yeah, <laughs> right. And uh, uh, and play Animal Crossing and build your island. But that's that's all chores too. You had to de-weed your island and pick weeds and shit. Yeah. We would. Uh, I wouldn't do that for my lawn in my house that I, you know, pay for. That's part of my property that would make my property value go up. I won't do that for real, but I'll, I'll, I'll do it in, on my little uh, video game island. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So yes, we are all very susceptible to the Tommy Knockers. Yeah. Uh, yes. Especially if I could build a I'm machine. Trying to remember how that got started. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, I, if I could, like, it will, especially the addictive nature of you have that moment where you like, you figure out something new, whether it's like cooking, like a lot of people during the pandemic figured out, Oh, I can make bread or whatever. Right. Right. And you have that little hit of dopamine or whatever, when you do something and you achieve something new. And so the feeling of being able to be smart enough to build a crazy invention, whether it's a mail sorting machine or a sewing machine that teleports your brother to Altair four, you know, mm-hmm. just that little hit of like, oh, I did that. The accomplishment of, you know, uh, the the Tom Hanks of I I made fire, you know, and Castaway. Right, right. right. Yeah. That, that is so well, addictive. So yeah, addictive. Well, and like, especially because like, you know, like the thing that you're uh, making, like, it's not this sort of like arbitrary thing. Because, yeah, like a lot of people got into making bread and like these weren't people that like previously had like these like baking uh, kind of aspirations. Right. It's like baking aspirations. <laughs> Like it's like with the Tommy knocker, you know, like juice, it's like you can do like the thing that's been like rattling around um, in your brain. Like you can uh, make a typewriter that will make the greatest novel that was like kicking around right. your head. Like there was the guy that came up with the like idea for the like police net thing that would like block all the like that would like this like great idea for like police to all be able to communicate and like it would keep all the like um, the people that. Uh, oh, not ham radios, scanners. But like, right. so, yeah. like, like it's like your ideas, uh, yeah. the thing that yeah. you like always wanted to do. Like right. you do now, man. You know, let's find this thing and let's dig it up. Yeah, I am, yeah. No, I am gonna. I'm gonna go on the record right now. If if one of the side effects of digging up that spaceship was creating a typewriter that would just write season two of Yellow Jackets, like I'm <laughs> worth it. Totally worth it. <laughs> You're not only going to fall for it, you're now out hunting for the spaceship. Yeah. Yes. That, that is where and you're spending your, your time. This sounds like a really good reason not to call the cops when you find it. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm going hiking after this. I'm just going to see what I can trip over. I would 100% not call the cops. I'm definitely digging that motherfucker up, though. And I would touch it. And <laughs> I would accept its juice. Um, go on and say it more sexy Scott <laughs> I would I would I would touch the disc slowly um, and with great purpose uh, it's but I, I would not like inform anyone like if I found something that extraordinary just out in the wild my instinct would be like shut the fuck up don't tell anyone about this until mm. you 
know what's going on. And by the time I know what's going on, guess what, baby? I'm already invested with that juice. Yeah. I'm over here writing the world's greatest novel and fucking that's that's another question though, is what do you think you would invent with the Tommy Knockers mm. uh booster? I think I would invent a way to um have my pets talk to me. Like I would invent Oh, that's, oh, that's pretty good. good. That's yeah. really fucking good. Yeah. <laughs> what do you mm. think? Do you think they would talk in different voices? Or would like the computer would it be like a a thing that goes around their neck and they just have the same computer. It sounds like a the Rick and Morty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Episode. I, yeah. I, I think it would just be like a never ending scream of help. <laughs> <laughs> how, how um mistreated are your pets? <laughs> we treat them great, I think, but I hear they scream really want. <laughs> it's just food, 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 oh, yeah. food. Sleep, yeah. sleep. I want to sleep. Food. Hey, hey. Pee. <laughs> well, we have we have one dog. Like Conan is the Chihuahua mix, the smallest dog. He's high anxiety. You know, mm. uh, that's my boy. But yeah. he is he's a handful in terms of neediness. But then we have another one. Uh, picturing Mad a Woody Max. Allen voice coming out of coming out <laughs> yeah. of that voice modulator. <laughs> you gotta snuggle me. And then the <laughs> we have another dog named Mad Max who is dumber than. Dirt. Like you look, he's like, he's got like a cow's expression at all times. Like at no point is Mad Max responding to what we're saying or recognizing words. He just knows that noise is happening and sort of wanders over to that. That's, that's it. He is dumb as a bag of hammers. So I don't know what he would, he would sound like, you know, it would blow your mind if you had the ability and you you realize you realize that he is deep, a deep, deep thinker, like a yeah. philosopher right. of a dog, yeah. and you have no idea. Got Confucius living over here with me. I have yeah. no idea. We, yeah. have, uh, we have two dogs, and uh, one of them, Grover, is just a, a hot mess of a dog. Like he, I think we were his fourth owner, and he was only four or five months old when we got him. Like he Jeez. was. <laughs> Being you, you got the problem child, <laughs> child but he's he's like a very loving very needy very anxious dog we think he might be i mean we got him from a rescue we never did the dna test but we think he might be a woodle he's definitely got some poodle in him and probably some terrier he's just this like little 30 pound mutt dog we always describe him as um if wouldn't you that be a toodle uh, a wheat, uh, a Wheaton Terrier is, I think. Oh, hmm. okay. Right on. Boodle, it looks a lot like <laughs> Rover. And uh, yeah, we would always describe him as if you took a normal dog and then he died and you put him in a pet cemetery and he came back. And uh, <laughs> yeah, he's, a, he's a mess. But one time I had a dream that he could talk to me and all he would say is, I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> So that we do that in our household. We just like, yeah, and he's saying it in like a resigned sort of way. I'm okay. I'm okay. okay. Yeah, it's just become like weird, like code now. So it's like throughout, like, like our time in the house, we're super stressed out. We'll just be like going, I'm okay. (laughs) (laughs) As if to prove we are not okay. Not okay. We're definitely not okay. Bart, what would you invent with your new Tommy Knockers? I don't know. Yeah, I've got like a talking pet thing is good. I feel like I would love to. This is like lame, but I think it's true. Like I would love to invent like the thing 
um, from like uh, the Matrix that like allowed you to learn like karate in like two seconds. Oh yeah, like, no, right now. Yeah, like for like everything, like 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 yeah, like just being able to put like books, to, like downloading them directly uh, um, into my head. Right, um, that's skills. cool. Yeah. What would you guys? I'm trying. To, I'm going back and forth between two things because like. One thing that I I love sleeping more than just about anything on on this earth. I love sleeping, but I also sometimes feel like uh, you know that I'm I, I sleep too much, right? So I'm that's because you sleep during the day, motherfucker, and that's when everything's happening. A lot of times, but uh, I I would I've had the daydream before of being able to either a just have the the kind of personality that can get like four or five hours of sleep and be fully rested. Uh, or having a machine that I could hit a button and I get a full night's sleep, but I just like pause the rest of the world. And then I, you know what I mean? And then I wake up and uh, I have the full uh, ability to essentially, you know, not miss anything. You know what I mean? But I also love passing time. So I don't know if I would ultimately love that invention, but that would be something that would cross my mind. So yeah, that's mm. good. Yeah. I what think I'm you, in, I, well, I think I'm going teleportation technology on this. Mm. That's I good. I just love that the was my idea. Second. That was my second. I love. Well, I love the idea of teleportation. I think it would uh, improve my life if I could just go to other places, like you know, at the press of a button. Right. Um, you nothing from the jaunt. In you my wouldn't be tele- stupid enough to not go to sleep in the middle of it. <laughs> yeah. Well, my my version of the jaunt does not involve any sleep gas. Okay. You just like boop boop hit a button and then. Bam, you're wherever you uh, set your mental coordinates to, okay. basically. So maybe maybe I I, I, I uh, pop over to another country to get dinner, you know, an authentic, you know, Italian dinner somewhere. But- and then reappear back in my house in Austin and eat it. Mm. I, w- I would very much like that. Or to go to like events that are happening yeah. in a place where it's just unfeasible for me to to spend the time or money to to witness them. Right. I would do that. Um, I think it would probably. Yeah, I think it's probably teleportation. That That's very appealing to me, especially today, because I was literally on a text chain before getting on to this call where uh, I, I, I've spent a lot of time in New Zealand. I love New Zealand. I miss it. I haven't been able to go back, obviously, because, uh, you know, they've locked that country down during COVID, but they are lifting the, the lockdown next month. So I was on a text chain going, oh, my God, there's some cheap flights. Like, do we go to New Zealand? Are we going to, you know, with some friends and all that? But then you just have to figure in. It's like, yeah, that's a 14 hour flight from L.A. You know, that's mm-hmm. a day of travel. And so all that's fresh on my mind right now. So when you were like saying teleportation, I'm like, fuck, yeah, teleportation. teleportation. I can just go, yeah, totally. Boop, I'm going to go and eat at my favorite restaurant in Wellington. Done. But you really that's need dinner. you need to make sure you've got a good landing pad, right? Because that's true. If you just put in the coordinates, say you were like, okay, I'm just going to teleport to the lobby of the Park Hyatt in Tokyo, right? You right. need to make sure that there's no one standing in that spot. Yeah, or else you're going to brundle fly yourself. Hold on. I am proud to tell everyone here that my teleportation technology will take these considerations into account <laughs> and will not immediately put you into, say, you know, the inside of a concrete pillar or, you know, halfway in and out of somebody else's body or mm-hmm. anything like that. We in, in a street we're work in front of a speeding yeah. car. Okay. We're going to figure it all out, baby. Don't worry about that. Okay. It's going to be great. I'm this, in. This, <laughs> yeah. It's not going to put think, you on I an airplane honestly, and you're going to miss it and fall out of the sky. Honestly, I think I, I like Ashley's idea more, though, because I would really like to hear what my dogs have to say. 
<laughs> I might mute them after a while. If I oh had yeah, to. no, that you're you're gonna destroy that machine in, in a day. But uh, I know, but I would like a little window into that. Whatever's going on there. And, you know, as long as you have a little bit of time before you turn into an, an alien see-through jellyfish, then you're going to, you know, you'll have time to build multiple inventions. Mm-hmm. So you can try multiple things out. So I have what? a question because yes. I, I do remember watching the miniseries. It's Jimmy Smith's, right? Oh, yeah. And Notorious Smith's, Smith's all right. Yeah. It was a million years ago. I And I have a terrible memory. It's why I can reread books over and over because it's like new to me again. I have like a vague sense of what happened, but I'm like, I don't remember. So how did they do the, did they even attempt to do the see-through jelly, jelly people or not? Not really. They, they make them like really pale and uh, there is a physical change, but it's not, it's not that. And then they actually fight aliens on the ship, you know, at the end. No. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Also, I'm going to, I'm going to share with you guys. (laughs) Over here in the uh, tech, check the chat box on the right hand side oh. of the screen. <laughs> okay, we, is this uh, what I think it is? Yeah, yeah. momentarily. We uh, uh, we had David Ferrier on the show uh, to discuss Tommy Knockers very early in our run. In fact, I went back and listened to it uh, yesterday when I was at the gym. Uh, one of our one of our like the first ten episodes that we did. Uh, love David Ferrier. If you're not familiar with him, he's the host of Dark Tourist. He did a documentary called Tickled. He is a rabble rouser <laughs> and a, uh, uh, a a general shit stirrer from New Zealand who I am consistently entertained by. He is he's very funny. Anyway, turns out he's friends with uh, the little kid, Davy Brown, who's in the movie. Um who is now all grown up, obviously, because that's how aging works. But uh, <laughs> but but went to his house and was able to look through his family's photo album of Tommy Knocker's set photos. Ooh. And there is one in particular that we were just enchanted by, um, which I'm going to share with you now. I was I was just there it is. I was just uh, pointing uh Josh Rubin towards this photo earlier today. That is Jimmy Smith's uh, kissing his friend yeah. on the on the set of the Tommy Knockers. Um, it looks like they're having fun there, it but does. it is impossible for anyone associated with the King cast at this point not to think of a kiss from Jimmy. A kiss while from Jimmy. A kiss yes. from <laughs> Jimmy. <laughs> this is great. I love it. And yes. it's it's very sweet, but it's also disturbing because the kid's in like full like uh, ghost child pancake makeup. Uh, he looks like Santee from Devil's Backbone. <laughs> and and Jimmy's kiss on the it's like obviously he's going for a kiss on the cheek and maybe somebody turned or something. And he's got kind of this full on like half mouth, half cheek kiss. Mm-hmm. It is one of the most disturbing and adorable and gross and cute. Yeah, no, like you can see that the kids feet are pointed sort of like three quarters away from Jimmy. <laughs> right. and, oh my and, God, like, I never noticed that. He's swiveled over. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, good times with that. Yeah. yeah. So but, a kiss but, from Jimmy, but, uh, to your your mention of the miniseries, uh, did did you all rewatch this 
for we, for this appearance? We did not. We we no. meant to. We had every intention of doing mm-hmm. that every mm-hmm. time. Got I just want to let you guys in on a secret. Neither did Scott or I. <laughs> it's probably yeah. I'm not going through it again. I'm yeah. just not. I refuse. It, it's it's pretty pretty hard it's, to get through. Yeah. The, um, the how many parts is it? It's two. It's okay. three hours total. Okay. Um, I think they aired it all at once, though. Wasn't that the thing, Eric? I don't remember. I honestly don't. We don't run a Stephen King podcast. We don't need to know these things. <laughs> well, we don't run a, a Tommy Knocker's podcast. <laughs> I, I reread this book when David Ferrier came on, and this this is a book that that uh, was the first Stephen King book to kind of stop me in my tracks when I was a kid. Like, because I, I I started reading King in sixth grade, and I started with Cujo, and I made a, a pact to myself I was going to read everything that Stephen King wrote, and I did. And I was going through, all through middle school and high school. I read everything Stephen King had ever written. And uh, Tommy Knockers was the one that I got to that I hit like a brick wall. And so it was tough for me to get through that book in the first place. And uh, and then rereading it, I had this, a lot of the same feelings, you know, but that said, there are things in there that work that are pure Stephen King greatness. Like we met, we keep, we've danced around the, um, the Altair four thing, yeah. that whole sequence where the magic show that happens, where the, the brother sends his little brother to a, an alien planet by accident, trying to disappear him, uh, is really fucked up. And the fact that you could poke your head in and, in you know, through the, underneath the device and see the, the boy slowly suffocating or whatever on this other planet, yeah. you know, it's really disturbing. And re- and that, that has stuck with me since the initial, read but uh it's the I've best read it part twice. of the whole book it is i've read it twice and twice is uh probably where i'm gonna stop on on that one this might be uh i'm an unpopular opinion or it could just maybe speak to my um a squeamishness of when it comes to scares but i like like i actually thought when guard goes on the ship and finds uh a kind of annie uh um and the other dude oh in the, like, shed. Mm. the shed so in sorry the shed? sorry yeah the shed yeah i, yeah. I was um that was like a rough little patch, like in like a good way. Like, like I thought it was just really well uh, kind of rendered and like kind of terrifying uh, when she's talking about like she can't feel anything um, until it hurts. I was just like, man, this is this is messed up. Yeah. Well, mm. and, and Peter, I mean, this book has I, I find Peter and what happens to Peter the Beagle to be one of the more emotional moments uh, yes. in his books it's such a gut punch and it's it's fascinating because it it really turns you against bobby who up until yeah. that yeah had been you know essentially sort of your main character and your your entry point into the story the fact that she did that was i mean you know her sister is a fucking bitch you know the old man she didn't know but like her loyal dog like yeah it's so yeah. upsetting and he's you know when it says he's just kind of like swimming with his little paws like he's dreaming it's just oh it got me it got me yep. i'm so glad there was no dog on the flight and yellow jackets <laughs> <laughs> like i hate it i i fucking hate it when there's like a thing i'm watching and i love it and then someone's just an asshole to a dog or kills it you know it's like just such a fucking trigger for me where that would it'll, like it'll it can ruin a movie experience for me yeah. if if it's just handled really you know exploitatively. Animals um, are are such a thing, and it's so <clears> funny because we're we're such animal lovers. Like we said, we have two dogs, we have two cats. Um, 
we have like a full they, you know, we are outnumbered. We love our pets and you know, we kill so many animals on the show. I don't know how it happened. But, uh, yeah, that was, um, it was fascinating when we. But they're not pets. They're not pet. Well, Biscuit. Oh, fair. Yeah. And also it was hilarious because Biscuit is a dead ringer for um, Cheddar, who is um, Dave, our Showtime executive's dog. <laughs> So oh, no. we'd get so upset um, and justifiably so. But it was it was so interesting when we did the um, the pilot and, you know, Showtime is sort of old fashioned in, in how they do things. So they still, you know, shoot pilots, test pilots and then make decisions about series orders. And so we went through the testing process and it, it's fascinating. You know, you go up to North Hollywood and you have this theater with like the one way or the yeah, the one way kind of glass. Mm-hmm. And we're we're kind of behind there and we're watching people watch it and they've got the dials and everybody, at, you know, at Showtime was like, don't worry about it when she kills the rabbit. Those dials are going to hit rock bottom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. Uh, it was, yeah, people do not like to see characters fucking with animals. And, and you know, I understand that, but um, somehow we still decided to behead a dog. So there it is. <laughs> Yeah. I'm curious uh, what your take is on on that phenomenon, like that we can watch X number of horror movies and just see people getting wholesale slaughtered and be like, hell yeah, that was cool. And then you put one dog in there and kill it. And it's like, hey, man, what's going on? I mean, it's like innocence, right? Because it's got to be. It, it's got to be the fact that we we see animals as innocent and um, and, and to some extent helpless. And I think that that's why it triggers that part of our brains. Yeah. And I, I mean, like, I do think that like, like dogs are kind of like a special case, you know, because I, I'm, you know, uh, there is like, like, I think something like deep in our like uh, psyches that like on some level understands the way that we've sort of like co-evolved with dogs and that they are just this like sort of like special kind of relationship, like, like apparently dogs like, understand like human uh, facial expressions hmm. they understand pointing like they've like so sort of like moved with us to be these like weird partners that like i think we mm-hmm. that we like that uh, the audience like understands like this is a naked betrayal of a compact that humans and dogs made you know 10,000 years ago and it's just like a dirty deal is like i think like a part of it because mm-hmm. like they are just so like cool Dem- with us. Yeah. Domesticated. Well, yeah. There's also a, a difference also in an aggressive sense. So it's like when you see Liam Neeson, you know, killing a wolf and or something that's attacking him, that's a different feeling than, you know, stomping on a beagle or something, you know, I mean, that, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that, that has trust. Because, that, yeah. Like, an implicit trust or, or whatever that is being betrayed there. Yeah. I mean, I think it's tapping into a lot of that. I think it's tapping into that, that uh, parental thing too. It's, mm-hmm. I know that uh, it's not the same thing, you know, uh, a human being and a pet, as much as I'm a, a pet lover, it's not, it's not the same thing, but I think it's still affecting the same. It's having that same uh, connection where it's like, this is the thing that depends on me to live. Yeah. Right now, this is, this is something I take care of and that's my job in this. And and then if, if you see somebody threaten that, it triggers a, a similar, like, you know, mama bear, or papa bear, you know, and protective sort of. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, it's strange because, you know, obviously countless people have died in Stephen King novels. And yet I when I think of sort of the most affecting deaths, I still think of that little Jack Russell Terrier in the corkscrew in, in Needful Things. Like that mm. fucked me up. Yeah. Stephen King have pets? Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Molly. Yeah, Molly the thing of evil. Yeah. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that I think that King just uses killing off a pet as I think when he's doing that, it, it, he's turning the pet into kind of a red shirt. You know what I mean? Like it's a shorthand to we needed another death in this thing and we needed to make it hurt and I couldn't get rid of one of these human characters. Yeah. You know, that 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 seems to be what the uh yeah. what the trope is there. And yeah, and he knows he's smart enough to know that there's a power that comes with sure. with that. Just just as he knows it's different that when Pascal dies, you know, this random adult jogger, you know, or whatever, college age jogger. It, it's different from uh, uh, with that person dying than with uh, Gage Creed right. sure. uh, dying. You know, it, it's a different feeling. It's a powerful tool that a creative has in in uh, uh, eliciting an emotion, you know, uh, uh, killing a kid or endangering a kid or, you know, killing or endangering a, an animal. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like they, he, he knows that. And, uh, and yeah, I, I, we've had this discussion on the show about whether or not he overuses it. And I think we, he probably does a little bit um, the, the killing animals thing. Cause it happens a lot. And it is uh, that shorthand that Scott's talking about has been used to go well, Greg Stilson's a, a really bad guy. And we know this because he, he, you know, kicks a dog, uh, you know, when he, he before he even, uh, is shown to, you know, blow up the world if he becomes president or whatever, you know, yeah. uh, it, it, it is a shorthand for sure. So Ashley and Bart, uh, Thais had definitely killed biscuit. Yes. 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 <laughs> <laughs> really you're confirming that um well it's too late now ash <laughs> yet another king cast exclusive folks. Yeah, yeah, just, I cannot just, believe they walked right into that and said yes God, immediately uh, no it was funny because tawny um tawny cypress who plays taisa as an adult um who is just absolutely lovely, but she has a really interesting process, which is different from some of our other actors in that she only wants to know what her character knows and Mm. she doesn't want to know anymore. And so she still yells at us because she's like, you told me the dog was fine. Like you didn't want to know. So, uh, yeah. (laughs) Well, uh, what else do we want to talk about in relation to Tommy knockers? Do we have any other points we want to hit? Mm. Mm. Well, we've talked about addiction. We've talked about a kiss from Jimmy. So those are the two big, we've talked about the device, the inventions. Those are the three big checks that you have to check off. You know what I want to talk about with this book? Sure. Yeah. One thing I'm fascinated by, and I don't know if, if it has to do with the fact that it was written while, you know, still in the throes of addiction or what, but like, it's an, it's an interestingly asexual book for King. Hmm. Go like, on. I, I feel like you can always depend on like a good juicy sex scene in a Stephen King novel. And there really isn't one. There's, you know, Gard and Bobby have their like final 
afternoon of passion. But tryst. Like, their final tryst, but she's already like half jelly person. So it's like not the sexiest thing that's ever happened. And he blows by it. Like he just fully blows by it. And, um, and otherwise, you know, he makes a point in a couple of moments to um, say that, you know, the, the genitalia of, of the people who are undergoing the becoming is getting pretty wild. Like it's sort of something <laughs> like mono sex, like tentacle situation down there. But then he doesn't, it's like, it's like Chekhov's tentacle genitals. Like it just <laughs> doesn't go anywhere with it. And I found that to be an odd and unusual choice for him. Mm -hmm. Well, there's a lot to unpack. Uh, uh, from what you just said. Um, I want to start with the idea of Stephen King writing a juicy sex scene. Um, well, granted that. No, he doesn't. Like, <laughs> like, like he, is, he is so bad at writing a sex scene. Perspective. The fact that there were any graphic sex scenes was like so incredibly, um, I don't know, just, yeah, I, I was like, oh my God, what is happening? Um, as an yes. adult, different perspective on it, but but you know, juicy is maybe the wrong word, but graphic often applies. Fair. Uh, um, and yeah, it's, it's just missing from here. Right. Well, well I, I will agree that if King was in his right mind while writing this story, there would be more awkward sex scenes for sure. <laughs> mm -hmm. well, Clumsier. Like, yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, like I, I mean, uh, just like sort of like um, kind of exploring this concept for a second, because like there does seem to be something uh uh kind of thematic about like uh like uh, a transcendence here like right. and like mm -hmm. a leaving behind of like the flesh because it's all about these uh kind of ideas and like going up uh, um, even to the point that this thing came from the sky like it came from a uh, kind of outer space and sure. so that like like uh, maybe it does uh, kind of make sense that you know, as these people are sort of like uh, kind of shedding their bodies and becoming mm. a part, like they're quote unquote, uh, kind of becoming this, you know, sort of like mind vibration of sorts that like uh, leaving behind, you know, the concerns of the flesh, like sex would like uh, make sense. Like, like, I'm not saying that he was like consciously doing that, but because there is this sort of like, um, a uh, 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 kind of motif of uh, transcendence throughout the book right. and like thought and a uh, kind of abstraction and like, like, like a lack of like a uh, uh, contextualizing um, yeah. uh, like these things. Like, yeah, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. You're saying the, 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 the pleasures of the flesh to borrow a term from Hellraiser uh, <laughs> have taken a back seat right. to the pleasures of the intelligence and the, the, yeah. the idea of knowledge being power. Right. 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 Probably, you know, a metaphor in there for the, the, you know, impotence that often accompanies late stage addiction, or maybe we're overthinking it. <laughs> no, but, well, I mean, like, no, I'm considering it. I'm really, I'm yeah. like staring into the corner of my office. <laughs> well, and I, I mean, really like, considering this. And uh, like, I mean, I guess to like just to clarify, like. I don't think a, like I don't think a lot of the meaning always has to be kind of intentional in terms of how the author or like the director or like you know like is playing these sort of themes but like like I think that like you know like especially uh, somebody like Stephen King who seems to to you know very much be uh, kind of experiencing his novels as he's uh, uh, writing them in like a weird sense like I, 
I think this book is, or maybe not in a weird sense, but like, um, in a sense, like I think this book, like uh, maybe like all books at the end of the day, like can be viewed as like a meditation on craft as well. Like in that he's just following something like there's uh, um, an energy that comes into him and he's like, and, and, and he's following these ideas where he doesn't even have to know where they go. If he's just patient enough and skilled enough to like, let the machine build itself like all of the meaning will be in there, even if he's not specifically building it in, um, if that makes sense. Right. Totally. Maybe we're at the end of the Tommy Knockers road here. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe that this 40,000 page novel has, has, has not yielded a, a nine hour episode, but uh, I, think we, <laughs> I think we have hit most of the beats here. Um, so this is usually the point in the conversation where we allow our guests to tease whatever they're working on next. Obviously, y'all are working on Yellow Jackets season two. When are you? Uh, when are you expecting to go in front of cameras? Um, we are currently aiming for sometime in August. Right on. Is is Karen coming back to direct this anything this season? She hopefully will be. Um, nice, you know, nice. She. she wasn't able and it's you know Karen is very involved um she's an exec producer on it so uh we are in communication on a very regular basis um but she wasn't able to direct anymore in season one because of scheduling conflicts and so we've already had a lot of discussions with her she really wants to to come back and do an episode or two and um it's really just about making the schedules work but we're right. all crossing our fingers and we think it should be able to happen Right on. The, we, th we think the world of, of yeah, Karen. she's great. She's Karen amazing. Is the absolute <clears throat> best. Um, she, I mean, not only is she an incredible director, but she's actually just a really great person. Like she's yes. so nice, and she and her husband Phil have, you know, they actually just live down the street from us, and they've become good friends. And um, it's so weird to be like, I'm friends with Karen Kuzal. <laughs> like, never thought <laughs> that, that was going to be the case. Um, so that is fun for us. Um, but yeah, Karen is just an absolute delight. Can you tell us something about season two, which has not been revealed yet and is not a crucial spoiler, <laughs> but which we can, we can aggregate some news for this episode on. Oh my God. Uh, tell me your secrets. I, yeah, I don't know that we... <laughs> You uh, haven't even started writing yet, have you? No. Well, I, <laughs> I just don't know. Safe, I feel like it's all big spoilers. Yeah. And, then, and, and like, you know, yeah, like it's hard because, again, like I think like we're also partially kind of handicapped by my like, I mean, just as an audience member, I want to know nothing. And like right, I'm definitely right. always the person like covering their ears or being like, Yes, I know it's from 25 years ago, but I haven't gotten to it yet. I don't want to know sure. even the premise. Don't tell me about a funny joke that's in the first act. Like, I want nothing. Right. Okay. And you did already give up the ghost on Thaisa <laughs> killing the dog. Not so. I think I could I could try to take a stab at this um, and hopefully ruin all of our lives. Let's but, get dangerous. <laughs> let's get dangerous. Let's live on the edge. Um, I guess one thing I will say is that there will be at least one, possibly more. And I mean, we know whether or not it's possible, but I'm trying to be coy. Um, uh, other survivors who are introduced in season two. Um, Very well. 
And I feel like we kind of teased that already too. And then, mm. okay. A smidge. A smidge. I mean, just a smidge. And then there is, well, how should I put this? There's, there's something <laughs> that everybody was sort of clamoring for in season one that did not happen in season one that will happen in season two. Mm. That could be. It's it's vague, things. but but also yes. fulfilling. So yes. I think you, you yes. struck the right tone there. Okay. I will say that if you do need uh, cameos from two middle aged portly podcasters, <laughs> I I do know a couple that that will work for very cheap. We yeah, the the yellow jackets should find should discover a podcast going on okay. in the woods. Oh well, <laughs> right. Yeah, we only want it in the in the uh, flashbacks, though. We don't want it. <laughs> we actually established one. It is canon that Misty likes podcasts. So that that is true. Uh, oh, we, shit. We, we, we will license a clip from the King cast very cheap. Okay. If you want to go really meta with it, very Stephen King, she can be listening to this episode. By the way, speaking of licensing things, what is your old fucking needle drop budget? <laughs> You know, it is not nearly as good as we want it to be. And I, we were. What? Because you got everything in yeah, season but, one. But at the same time, like, you know, we're watching the dropout and I'm like, what the fuck was your music budget? <laughs> <laughs> okay. It did, was there a song in season that you wanted for season one that you couldn't get? Uh, there was a song that we couldn't get because it was too expensive for us. And that song was Living on the Edge by Aerosmith. Mm. Oh, my Lord. Yeah. Yeah. That's I, a perfect, that's, perfect I, choice. I know. Yeah, so, it's so we'll, great. We'll, How much does it cost? Um. Oh, God. I don't even Like, know. if we wanted to play Living on the Edge on this show, what's it going to cost me? <laughs> it was, like, in the neighborhood. It was, oh, it was definitely in the six figures. <laughs> All right, so we're going to need some more patron Patreon supporters <laughs> to pull this off. Yeah, no, it, it's it's a pricey one. And um, yeah, no, I think we tricked people a little bit because we went really heavy in the pilot. We went way over budget. We had to amortize that over the rest of the season. And then, you know, it, it became clear if you check on, you know, they, they put an official playlist on Spotify and then, you know, it's like there will be episodes in the middle where there's one new song added to the playlist. So, uh, yeah, there's um, there's a couple plays. You know, we just had to be smart about it. And, um, you right. know, it's all relative. I'm sure that there are shows out there that are like, fuck you. And then there's shows where we're like, fuck you. <laughs> right. um, yeah. But we're hoping maybe we can get a couple more pennies for season two because we love we love playing with the music. Right. Remind me, what year? Are we in in the in the in the woods? It's 1996. 1996. 96. So you've got um I have a personal request okay. for a, for a needle drop if you can figure it out at okay. some point. <laughs> and I may be able to assist on this actually. Um if you could work a, a 9 inch nails track into the oh. show. Oh um, yeah. We've heard and I'm going to put this out into the universe. Um we heard rumors that Trent Reznor is actually like a fan of the show and would like to be musically involved. I have no idea if that's actually true, but mm. um, if it is, that would be so fucking delightful to us. We cannot wait for this thing to come back. I'm, I'm so excited for it. And my, my big plan is that when yellow jacket season two comes out, we can do like a month's worth of programming. You guys <laughs> come back. 
We'll get we'll get some other people from the show. We'll do just four weeks oh. of guests from Yellow Jackets. You know who you guys need to have on for sure is Tawny. Tawny is a huge Stephen King fan. No shit. Yeah. Um, yeah. We will reach out. Okay. We've been we've been sort of poking around. We have we have Melanie Linsky on the hook for an episode at some point, but yes. uh, apparently apparently she's very very busy right now, so we can't do it now. Yeah. Um. And I have I have investigated some other folks from the show who uh, we did not get, but <laughs> but, but 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 with y'all's help and maybe if we can butter Showtime up a little bit, maybe. We can uh, uh, pull off our dream of, of devoting an entire month to right. the show. It, to it's you and a, it's also different making those asks if, when it's time to promote the next season. You know what I mean? Versus yeah, totally. Versus like it. now, hey, you know, we're we're just happy you guys came on to, to talk with us. Yeah, exactly. You no, didn't have to. Uh, this, uh, thanks this so much for having us. Yeah, oh my no. God. Uh, 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 this was super fun. We've been- oh, good. I'm glad you liked it, and apologies that you felt the need to. To reread that book in order to come on the show, which, <laughs> no, which I mean, probably like, should have pointed out. I that, liked uh, it, though. Bart was having yeah. a good time. I, I, yeah, that's good. I, I love book club. Like, I guess that's the thing. That's true. Well, there you go. So not, I, I want to apologize you just to say you. I love book club? That's what I said. That's what I said. I said I stand by it. Because <laughs> I have to, right? Like, like uh, you guys Rick Tamlin, uh, I love lamp. <laughs> I love book club. <laughs> well thank you so much for being here today y'all uh this was a blast and uh can't wait to talk to y'all again we wish you the best of luck with season two and we cannot wait to see it thank you so much we will um be terrified of your response <laughs> <laughs> many thanks to ashley lyle and bart nickerson those two were a delight i must say yes we went into this knowing that we loved the show and mm-hmm. uh didn't know all that much about uh, either one of these uh, people. At least I didn't. I know, Scott, you talked to um, Ashley a little bit more than I have. But uh, it's always a pleasant delight when people that are uh, your fans of come on and just like know their shit, are super funny, relaxed. Yeah. We and like also these when they're listeners. That part yes. is extra cool. When Ashley and I first started like trading messages, uh, I was like, hey, when you come on my podcast, please. And she was like, oh my God, I love the fucking Kinkas. So it was like, uh, this one was very easy to to set up. We just had to wait for them to be uh, uh, fully available, but they knocked it out of park. I thought they were also way more forthcoming on some of those yeah. uh, uh, questions we asked than I was expecting. You did. We, we somehow rope-a-dope them into revealing something they didn't want to reveal about, mm-hmm. <laughs> about that. I, I think there's a couple things in there that will be of uh, uh, interest to, to Yellow Jackets fans, but um, we are deadly serious about putting together uh, a, a you know a, a, an entire block of programming for for when Yellow Jacket season two comes back. I want to talk to everyone on that cast. I want to talk to uh, Ashley and Bart again. Uh, you can probably go ahead and bet that that's going to happen. We just got to <laughs> figure it all out, and they got to make the show. Yes, yeah. So hurry up and make that so we can uh, inundate you guys with a ridiculous amount of, hmm, of yes. the, the cast and crew of season two of yellow jackets. Yeah. That'd be a great excuse to bring uh, Karin back too. If she's, if she's involved. Oh like yeah, that's true. I'd love to talk to Karin again. Yeah. So we're going to turn this into the yellow jackets cast, uh, sometime next year, probably. So prepare yourselves for that. Um, yeah. All right. So let's talk about what's coming up. I'm going to start with telling you guys what's on the main feed next week. Next week, we are covering the outsider. So this is going to mostly be, uh, focused on the 
TV adaptation, the HBO show uh, that Jason Bateman did with uh, Ben Mendelsohn, mm-hmm. uh, Cynthia Revo, and uh, you know, great cast on that show. Um, we do dive into uh, a bunch of, let's say, niche areas of conversation here. This this is one of those uh, Kingcast episodes that takes about a eleven billion left turns and random. <laughs> alleyways are explored so it's one of our more chaotic fun episodes i I can say that yeah a very a very entertaining conversation but um perhaps not the most focused conversation on the uh on the matter at hand although we did put forth a valiant effort (laughs) but i had a great time recording it and i think people will be entertained listening to it and that's all that really matters at the end of the day isn't it and the and the guest on this one is a uh I will say it's a very multi-talented person. Their uh, their their list of credits was very interesting. The number of things that uh, this this um, well, I'll say it's a lady that this lady mm-hmm. has done. I don't know how to tease this. Hmm. Look, she's very she's very entertaining. She's funny. She has a strong social media presence. She's done all kinds of shit. Has a couple shows in the works with HBO Max. Uh, you're gonna be happy to hear this one. That's that's all I'll say. That. for sure now what about the patreon what's the patreon bonus this friday well on friday we are bringing in uh, a buddy of ours named jacob aller who uh is the uh i believe he is the the head of the film department over at uh paste magazine he's a guy i've been talking to about coming on the show for a while because uh i know he's a listener and i knew we wanted to do it but we were looking for a you know a, a unique angle something that no one else had talked about for for him to come in on and uh he had a great pitch. Uh, he wanted to talk specifically about all the intros that Stephen King has written in his books over the years. To have that conversation, he went and read every single goddamn Stephen King intro, <laughs> took notes, <laughs> came back, found some through lines between some of them. Um, really just sort of provides a great overlook at the methodology with which King approaches writing an intro to his to his right. novels or short story collections. And it's... Uh, it doesn't sound like the most electrifying uh, topic. I'll say that, but it, it's a very entertaining conversation. And um, we uh, we discover a few things al- along the way. I, th- I think people will enjoy it. Right. This is we're talking about, you know, Stephen King kind of dropping the authorly, you know, uh, veneer and he does this a lot with short stories well where he'll set them up and then he'll write a little afterward so we're covering all that stuff where he kind of drops the pretense and it's just uncle steve you know talking to you which is something that i've always loved about his books you know he almost always has his little like you imagine him sitting by a fireplace you know there at the end and he's like yep and that was that story and this is what i was thinking of when i was writing it and you know blah 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 signed stephen king bangor Maine. you know and then mm-hmm. Dick, you, like it, it's every one of those that's what we're talking about on the bonus episodes and kind of like how that uh ingratiates the reader to king even more um, yeah totally. and maybe maybe feeds into why uh everybody feels such a personal connection to this guy, you know, cause he talks directly to you in that way. It's uh, it's definitely a good nerdy uh, Stephen King obsessive <laughs> conversation. I'll say that much. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. And uh, also we should, we should go ahead and announce or not announce cause it was just announced this week, but mention that we are headed to this year's overlook film festival. We have a very fun movie in our back pocket that we're going to screen uh, in uh, with a special guest and we're going to do a live recording. Um, really big honor for us to be invited out to this fest. And, uh, I've never personally attended, so I'm, I'm really yeah. excited to go there. 
I'm excited. I'm definitely excited to go to fucking New Orleans. It's been way too long since I put in some hours down there. <laughs> so we strongly encourage you to go by their website to uh, learn more about the festival, some of their programming, some of the other events that they're doing. That is at overlookfilmfest.com. All one word. That's overlookfilmfest.com. You can get your uh, tickets and passes uh, to that event there. It's between June 2nd and 5th in New Orleans. And we are really excited to meet some some KingCast listeners while we're out there, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely. And we hope that this is the first of a, a few really interesting live shows that we are going to be embarking upon in this year of our Lord 2022. Yep. So we hope to see you guys there and uh, we'll keep you abreast of any further live show developments as they, they happen uh, yes. over the course of this look year. For, look for another big announcement um, on May 3rd. That'll tell you what we're screening and who the guest is, I believe. You're going to want to be at this screening. I think it's going to be rowdy as hell and we're going to have a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Uh, so I hope to see you guys there. Um, and in the meantime, next week, prepare yourselves for a, a raucous conversation about The Outsider on our main feed and on our Patreon this Friday, little discussion about Stephen King's intros and outros. Until then, folks. Bye. The KingCast is a Fangoria podcast production. The show is produced, hosted, and created by Eric Vespi, that's me, and Scott Wampler. Tira Ansley and Abby Goel are executive producers. Daniel Danger is our art director, and editing is done by yours truly. <laughs>